Why would someone refuse to go to a party? That's the question we're discussing today on the Hero of the Story presented by The Gospel Project. Thanks for joining us for today's episode of the Hero of the Story, a podcast to help you explore the big story and big truths of scripture. I'm Aaron Armstrong, and with me, as always, is Brian Dombozik. So, Brian, we are looking at a very well-known passage of scripture today. We are looking at Luke 15 and uh, the parable of the two sons. Yeah, and you know, the, the question you asked as two introverts podcasting, I think we can have a long list of reasons why we would not go to a party. I just don't want to. <laughs> uh, exactly. Do I gotta? Uh, yeah. But as we're going to see in this passage, uh, <laughs> the older son did not have good reasons for not wanting to go to a party. And that's really important as we're going to explore. Absolutely. So, uh, Brian, how about you set up some context for this? And then I'll actually read the parable because it's a, it's a nice tight enough passage that we can do that. Yeah, so this is uh, actually a little bit more toward the end of Jesus's three-year ministry. A lot of our recent episodes have been in that nebulous middle. This is pushing a little bit more toward the end. Uh, And the context of this parable, though, the immediate context really is helpful and really important to understand. And we see that back in in the beginning of the chapter, Luke 15, verses 1 and 2. This parable itself starts in verse 11. But in in verses 1 and 2, we read this. All the tax collectors and sinners were approaching to listen to him, meaning Jesus. And the Pharisees and scribes were complaining. This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And then into 3, it begins, so he told them this parable. And from there, he tells three parables in a row, back to back to back, the parable of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son, the prodigal son. Some people prefer to call this the faithful father, put the emphasis on him. Uh, But these three parables are told all in response to this issue. We have to keep it in mind. Jesus was being given grief for eating with sinners. Eating was a, a signifier of acceptance in that day. When you sat down and had a meal with somebody, there was some level of acceptance. So the religious leaders were looking at Jesus saying, wait a minute, you're supposed to be a good rabbi, a good teacher, and yet you're accepting on some level these sinners. And by sinners, they, of course, were uh, cherry-picking people in society, the worst of the worst from their perspective. Uh, tax collectors, of course, were really, really looked down upon because they were viewed as traitors. They were collecting taxes for Rome. Not only did they extort people and take more, Rome gave them permission to do that, and that was problematic from a financial perspective, but really the issue was they were helping to pay the occupying force in their land. And so they were traitors. So that's why they were looked down, and then other sinners, just the unclean people. So this was was a... uh, a perspective of the Jewish leaders to look down upon who, again, they considered the worst of the worst. So Jesus eating with the worst of the worst from their perspective was a problem for them. And they pushed back on this. So these three parables are Jesus pushing back on them. And again, we have to remember that the intent of parables is one big idea that God's, that Jesus is communicating. And here, all three share this big idea of God's heart for people, which makes sense. They, the religious leaders, were not demonstrating any kind of heart for these people. Jesus is saying, no, God has a heart for these people. He cares about these people. That's why I do this. 
But as we're going to see in a minute, when you read it, this third parable, then Jesus amplifies and expands and adds a secondary, well, not a secondary, but a second really important uh, idea as well. All right. So here is that parable. Jesus also said, a man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, father, give me the share of the estate I have coming to me. So he distributed the assets to them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered together all that he had and traveled to a distant country where he squandered his estate in foolish living. After he had spent everything, a severe famine struck that country and he had nothing. Then he went, uh, then he went to work for one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. He longed to eat his fill from the pods that the pigs were eating. So, uh, but no one would give him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired workers have more than enough food? And here I am dying of hunger. I'll get up, go to my father and say to him, father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired workers. So he got up and he went to his father. But while the son was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran through his arms around his neck and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father told his servants, quick, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Then bring the fattened calf and slaughter it and let's celebrate it with celebrate with a feast. Because this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field. As he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he summoned one of the servants, questioning what these things meant. Your brother's here, he, he told him. And your father has slaughtered the fattened calf because um, he has him back safe and sound. Then he became angry and didn't want to go in. So his father came out and pleaded with him. But he replied to his father, look, I've been slaving many years for you and I've never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me a goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, when who has devoured your assets with prostitutes, you slaughtered the fattened calf for him. Son, he said to him, you're always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Well, <laughs> there is a lot there in that. Yeah, there's a lot there. And I love how Jesus leaves it hanging. It kind of reminds me of the book of Jonah, where, you know, God kind of confronts Jonah and says, wait a minute, why should you be upset about this? Don't you care about the people? And then it kind of leaves it off there. And you wonder, well, did Jonah repent or not? And here Jesus leaves it off with yeah. the father's rebuke, a loving rebuke, though, it seems. Um, and then we don't know, did the older son go into the party or not? Did he repent? And of course, while we would really want to know that, it's not part of the point that Jesus is making. So that's why he ends it where he does. He wants yeah. this thought lingering in his listeners' minds and hearts. And and certainly it sticks with you because yes. how can you not read that? How can you not hear it out loud? And, and this is just one of those things that's really beautiful about scripture is scripture is really meant to be read aloud. Mm -hmm. 
you're meant to hear it in addition, not just read it on the page. You ought, you should read it on the page because we have it as a book. But, and, and once again, this is us getting ahead of ourselves um, because we love to do stuff like this. But this is just one of those reminders that it's a good, that something that is a really good practice to get into is periodically just reading a passage aloud and think about how does it sound? How would, how would someone say this? Um, and yeah, because or, it, it affects how you, how you understand it. Yeah. Or, uh, you know, I, I did one year, I had listened to the Bible through on a, on a, on a podcast or, you know, apps or whatever, but mm-hmm. hearing as well, same, same idea, either reading it to yourself and, or listening to an audio version, I think is really helpful. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So, uh, that said, um, what are some questions that we should be asking as we are reading, listening, and studying to this passage? I think the first one is the larger view of of these three parables. Why did Jesus tell three parables that basically are communicating the same idea? One would have been sufficient. A second, and then a third, especially. Just we have to address this. Why? And, and I think the reason is because this is such an important point that Jesus is making. This is at the center of his earthly mission, that God loves people, even the rebel, uh, and that God is a seeking God. He, he sent Jesus on a mission to seek out and save the lost. That's, that's what we read the mission of Jesus was, his earthly mission. And so the the religious leaders are missing this. They're missing the heartbeat of God. They're missing the purpose of Jesus' arrival. And Jesus wants to make it crystal clear to them and perhaps anybody else who is listening. Maybe some of the sinners were nearby Jesus at this time, and it was critical they hear God's heart for them. So because of this, Jesus tells three parables almost uh, as an exclamation mark. Um, it, it is it's an emphatic. He just wants this to be crystal clear, no doubt. And so he's going to unleash these three really compelling. I mean, each one, we're not going to really talk about the parable of the lost sheep and the lost coin, but those are also familiar. I think most of our readers are familiar with them. They're really compelling. Uh, Each of these just kind of pulls you right in. They're easy to see the main point. Um, Mm -hmm. And and again, so it's it's really just emphasis that that Jesus is is sharing three with uh, the listeners that day. Yeah, absolutely. A, another question that we should be asking is, is why did Jesus amplify this one, this third parable in this, in this triad? And um, like you said, this one, this one serves as the, the, this repetition serves as an exclamation mark, but this, this parable really serves as the exclamation mark of that exclamation mark. So it's in case you didn't get it, we really like if if me saying twice already we rejoice over what when what was lost was found let's make this real personal here okay yeah. let's talk about it as human what what we're really talking about we're talking about human beings and this is um in in terms of a parable this is really one of the plainest uh, like plainest most direct things that Jesus we see Jesus saying to the to the religious leaders prior to him affirming the fact that he is in fact the messiah um and so this is this is a big deal but jesus so jesus wanted to be crystal clear of how the religious leaders were missing 
God's heart for people and the mission that God had called his people to from the very beginning. I mean, the Jewish people were meant to be a light in the world. Um, All of those things that were said about that you see Jesus say in the Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount, um, those were applying first and foremost to the Jews and were applied in the Old Testament to them um, as well. So these aren't new things that were being were being stated, but he's saying you missed it. You got it wrong. And so instead of pursuing sinners, instead of pursuing the rebel, instead of showing compassion to them, they sat in judgment of of these sinners. And God was in turn sitting in judgment of the religious leaders sin. And so this third parable, while it is super direct, is also meant to be incredibly absurd um, because it's it's he's distilling down truth in this. So you have this this first brother, the younger one. He's a, a young Jewish man demanding his inheritance. And the way he's saying it is, is dad, I wish you were dead. Think about how would have how you would hear that and how you would respond to that. That would be shocking for uh, for anyone in that culture to say. It'd be shocking now. It, it was unthinkable. So even I mean, that would the, the listeners would be like, all right, this is just absurd. What what Jewish young man would actually do that? What 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 young man would demand an inheritance? And again, as you said, basically you're saying, I wish you were dead. I just want you for your money. Yeah. Um, and so right there, that's the key that Jesus is going to tell an absurd parable for a reason. And yep. Yeah. It's, and it's, it's wild. And I mean, there's all kinds of implications in here on, you know, what should the older brother have done as well? Because really the, the, the older brother failed in his, in his responsibilities as the primary inheritor. Um, <laughs> in all of this too, but, um, but we're not going to deal with that right now. Um, so you see this, you see this guy say, dad, I wish you were dead. And the father gives him yeah. what he asks for that in itself is ridiculous. But then what does this young man do? He goes and he squanders it all. He wastes it. He blows it on, you know, on, on, Popcorn, candy, Nintendo games, and uh, all kinds of other stuff. Whatever the kids do these days, I don't know. The Utes. Um, <laughs> I'm middle aged now, so I don't get to. I don't know what what kids do that are with it and hip. <laughs> but uh, whatever he di- does, he uses it all, every single penny, and then some. Um, and so we find him. We we come back to him. Famine hits the land. He's feeding pigs. Again, there's a, there is another thing that is just um, this this exclamation point and driving home the um, the shamefulness of this son's behavior to the religious leaders because pigs, as we know, for for the Jews were an unclean animal. Um, they weren't to eat them. They weren't to they weren't to be. Um, farming them they weren't weren't to be doing any of any of this stuff um and yet and then we yet we see this young man um not only feeding the pigs but wanting to eat their food because he's got nothing (laughs) so basically a pig is better than him at this point pretty much yeah um and and so this this guy 
really does represent the most lowly of sinners to the religious leaders. He is the he is the one, like Paul would later say of himself, the one who is the foremost um, of sinners. They would have been completely shocked, bewildered, aghast, hearing all of this. And then you see this, but you see this turn that happens. That is this beautiful thing where it says that he came to his senses. And, um, you know, some commentators have referred to this as as meaning that he literally came to himself, that he woke up, that he realized who he actually was. Um, like he had been walking around in this in this um, stupor. Yeah. Like basically he was drunk on sin and he sobered up. <laughs> is probably the best way to put it. And since he was squandering his money, he may have actually been sobering up. But, <laughs> exactly. um, <laughs> um, and so you see this and he goes and he goes back to the father. And then you get this next level of absurdity with the father himself. Um, I mean, you have um, the fact that this father would accept his son back is ridiculous enough. Um, you know, they were probably expecting that in that rather than accepting him, that they would that he would stone him or beat him to death. It, yeah, at least a strong rebuke, at least a, a a turn of, oh, no, 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 you ran away from me. Now you're running back and you think I'm going to accept you. Um, nope. And so for Jesus to tell a story where this father welcomes him and welcomes him back lavishly with the robe and the ring and the sandals and then this feast celebrating without any intimation of rebuke is is mind-boggling yeah but then to make it make things even more ridiculous what does the father do he doesn't just walk to him he runs to him he hitches up his robes and runs which is not dignified no men, men no. did not run in that culture like that yeah no so um, so really in, in this interaction between the younger son and the father, what we're seeing is, is Jesus point, um, made abundantly clear that God's love, his grace, his mercy, that they make no sense because everything the father does from the religious leaders perspective, and honestly from ours as well, makes absolutely no sense. They don't fit how we think as people. But yeah, they're they, all very real. Yeah, I think the religious leaders, they, they were categorizing and saying, no, these sinners deserve judgment. They deserve condemnation. They don't deserve grace. And so from their perspective, that's why Jesus was being absurd by eating with these because they were missing this. So, yeah, this this part of the, the, uh, the parable really amplifies well the lost sheep and lost coin. Because even though you have a semblance of it, well, why would a shepherd? You got 99 sheep. You're leaving those 99. Aren't you risking them or just one? Why not be content with the 99? It happens. The lost coin, the same kind of thing. But here it just, it steps that up. And as you're saying, let's talk about what we're really talking about people. Let's add levels and layers to this uh, to show, to make this point. No, this is the heart of God, even for, in your opinion, who would be the lowest among low. God the Father is still one who who chases that person down and accepts that person back fully. Of course, we know through the bigger story arc of Scripture, through repentance and faith in Christ, uh, but accepting that person back, that's the heart of the Father. That's why it was sinners. 
Yeah. But the parable doesn't end there, does it? No, it doesn't, because there's still another son to deal with, this second brother, the older brother, um, who describes himself as slaving for his father. Um, He is always obeying, and yet he never even was given a small party for his obedience. This is a very bitter um, young-ish man. Um, We don't know exactly. Again, we don't know how old he is either. But, um, but I mean, think about it. Just think about the language that he uses, the, the accusation that he makes when his, when his brother comes back and his father throws this grand party. He's like, you never even gave me a goat. Yeah. And I've been here the whole time. I've been doing what everything you asked. I've been going above and beyond. I've never complained. I've never done anything. Um, and yet we see him doing all of these things, uh, right in this moment. But, and then he (laughs) says, this son of yours, (laughs) it's like, this is, this is a man, this is a man, (laughs) a little bit, but it's like, there is this hatred that's there that it's like, but I mean, that's what bitterness does, right? Well, yeah, this is revealing his true identity. His true character is coming through here. All these years, he is—he has been serving his father, slaving for his father. He says, as a facade, his obedience was yeah. not directed toward his father because of love and respect. He is—he is, he is serving, expecting to get something from his father, and here this sets him off. And all pretense is now gone, and he is really revealing who he is. Mm-hmm. And again, I think the religious leaders that they hearing this, they would have recognized easily, oh, this son, he's bad too. Yeah. You, know, you don't do this. This is greatly disrespectful. Uh, really crass utilitarian perspective of a father. And so they would have immediately, I think, they would have locked in where Jesus was going with the second son as well. They would have, and there's very likely the chance that they would have got who they were, who he was talking about too. Oh, yeah. And they would not have been happy about it because what he was saying is, is, and this is you. This was Jesus condemning the religious leaders for their, um, for their obedience and their piety that was based on transaction and on their status as, um, as the children of Abraham, as opposed to being people who are children of God who love and serve the father out of joy and thankfulness for his grace and mercy. And so this is a, so in effect, what Jesus does is he says, Hey, this is a father who has two lost sons. Mm -hmm. One knows they're lost. The other doesn't. And we see this father come out to both. And so this is, again, this is where the amplification comes in that we see, we see the, like the, 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 the shepherd pursue the lost sheep. We see the person search for the lost coin and rejoice and find it. And we see this father come after both of his lost sons. And he's asking, come to your senses when he's saying, what I, everything I have is yours. Why? Like I've, I've held nothing back. It's good to celebrate. We had to celebrate and rejoice because this fought, this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. He's saying, so this invitation is there. And this is Jesus 
saying in his most, like, I think the most compassionate that we ever see him toward the religious leaders saying, will you come rejoice, repent yourselves, humble yourselves. Yeah. This is like, it's, it's painful and it's beautiful to read. Yeah. You know, as we read the gospels and I think we've, we've talked about this on prior episodes, but you often will see two dispositions that, that Jesus has toward who he's talking to. Generally when he's talking to the masses, uh, he is a little bit more gentle, patient, the the loving Jesus that most people see Jesus as. But then when you see him interacting with the Pharisees and Sadducees, he often will have a much sterner uh, disposition. I think about the woes that he would uh, offer at one point in his ministry, uh, just really not pulling punches as much with them. But here we see more of a gentleness even toward those Pharisees and Sadducees and religious leaders. Yeah. Uh, you know, there is a, yeah, he's, he's, he's pointing out pretty clearly what they're doing wrong. But notice, as you were pointing out, notice the heart of the father toward both of these sons. Both, there's this, this more of a gentleness. There's a, a broken heartedness over what each son is doing and a desire undergirding each one of the sons to repent from their wrongdoing and be in right relationship with the father. And that's, I think what you see Jesus here is intimating toward these religious leaders saying, Hey, you are sitting in judgment of sinners and God is sitting in judgment of you and your sin because of this. But repentance is available. Restoration is available. Jesus in his uh, omniscience would know that those religious leaders would refuse repentance and continue to pursue rejection but here you see his heart. It, it's the heart mm-hmm. of God for all lost people. Yeah. And and that kind of leads into the the last question that we we would encourage that we think is a good one to ask about this uh, this passage, which is you know was Jesus taking a side for or against either the religious leaders or the irreligious? And and certainly as we've already shared, I mean the answer is is no. Um, we should we should recognize that the religious leaders would uh, are best understood to be the primary audience of this parable because Jesus was telling it to them, but um, but also as we've said in telling this story we we should recognize that Jesus is pointing out that the sons are two sides of the same coin, um, and so he's not taking sides um, one over the other. He's saying both of you need to be saved. Um, you know, Tim Keller is really helpful. Um, he's written a, a really great book on this parable uh, called The Prodigal God. came out about 11 years ago or so. Um, one of the best treatments of this that, that I personally, modern treatments, I should say, that I've, that I've read. Um, and he points out that Jesus doesn't single, um, what Jesus does here is that he singles out religious moralism as a particularly deadly spiritual condition. Um, and he does this, but he, when he does this, he's not doing it to the exclusion of the brazen sinfulness of the younger son. He is saying that both are bad. Both will kill you. But one of them is more pernicious because we often don't see it. 
Yeah. I mean, you look, is there anything redeeming in either of these brothers before the younger comes to his senses? Neither. Jesus portrays two, two sons, two brothers, with no redeeming quality. Uh, they're mm-hmm. equal in that regard. They're equal in being terrible sons. Only when the younger brother comes to his senses, is brought to his senses through the gospel, would be where Jesus is taking the story. Do we see anything redeemable? That he just repents. He, he repents and he, he goes. And re- that's it. Who's the hero of the story? The hero of the story is the father. Mm-hmm. And so both sons have issues. It's the father. He's the one who is consistently positive, grace, mercy, love, you know, and, and again, this is important yeah. is both are bad. And, and I think we'll get to this in a second as we transition to guidance for this passage. But th- this is the thing we need to, to recognize our tendency to be in either or more likely both of these camps at times. Mm-hmm. And what's yeah, God's heart absolutely. to us? God's heart is always one of love and wanting to extend grace and mercy. Yeah, 100%. That is, I mean, that is a, a huge and necessary perspective for us to have. So uh, let's think about this from a discipleship perspective. What kind of guidance can we offer um, in working through this passage with someone else? Yeah, I think we, we've kind of already said most of what we would want to wrap up with this. But just to be clear, let's just kind of say it again and summarize. The first one, let me let me just kind of finish what I was just saying. Mm-hmm. I, I think we all need to recognize we probably have one or the other of our default positions. Either we might gravitate more toward open rebellion like the younger son, uh, pride and open rebellion and just kind of this w- waving our fist at God and saying, no, I'm going to do it the way I want to do it. Um, or we might tend toward the more legalistic approach that we see God in a transactional relationship that well, as, as long as I am doing what I need to do, God, you owe me and you should pay me back with a good, comfortable life. You should pay me back with um, healthy, a healthy family and so forth uh, because we have, a, we have a deal here. I will do what you want me to do when I need to do, and you're going to pay me. I'm your employee, if you will, in that regard. Yeah. Uh, you owe me a paycheck. And so I think we tend to fall in one of those two camps naturally, but I don't think exclusively. I think we all wrestle with each, um, that there are times even the legalist will lapse into open rebellion and there are times the person in open rebellion will act as a legalist. For example, that open rebellion person, when a loved one is diagnosed with a serious illness, for example, what are they prone to do? They're prone to have that prayer of making a deal with God. Well, God, if, if you heal this loved one, I'll make a deal with you. I'll shape up. And so we each can, we can sit in these different camps or at least visit them at times, but Again, I think we're prone toward one. So here's the challenge when we read this. It's a challenge for us to do and also for us to help others recognize this because we have to deal with it. The, the open rebel has to repent and the one who is a, uh, a legalist has to repent. But we have to understand what our issue is to repent truly. So that, that's a big discussion point. A really helpful discussion point as you as you are discipling somebody else and you read through this this passage. Yeah, 
Um, one of the ways that I've heard it said best, and this was actually a counselor um, that uh, that I knew years and years and years ago, was not a Christian, um, but he made a he made a very uh, a very helpful point. He said that um, he though in his words he said that um, the the extreme right and the pornographic left are basically holding hands. And so a really helpful way to think about these kind of scenarios and circumstances is that um, the open, the brazenly rebellious are extremely legalistic in their rebellion. And the legalist is extremely rebellious in their legalism. And so it's the same thing. It just looks a little bit different. So, uh, that, that's, and, and we, and to your point, we have to, we have to be so mindful of that because we're always tended toward one or the other. And it's really both the same thing. So neither of them is, is better than the other. It's not better to be a legalist than to be an open sinner. Both are worthy of judgment. (laughs) So, um, I think that leads to the, the last thing that we would want to encourage, which is, is really to be mindful of, um, nurturing and um, and by God's grace, seeing our love for others grow. So considering consider a few different things. Like, what do we? What's our response when when people come to faith in Jesus? Do we celebrate or would you say, oh, not that, not that person? Yeah. Is there is there something in us that that happens there? Um, do we root for others to come to faith? So, real practically, are there people that we really don't like that we pray for, or are we praying that, or are we praying that judgment will just come upon them? Yeah, and I think a really good litmus test of this is from time to time in in our culture, we will experience a heinous event, uh, major terrorist mass murder or whatever the case may be. Um, and so a, 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 a person, um, a single person will come to prominence, a, a, what we would call even a terrible sinner. And this is a good litmus test. In those times, what would we do if we heard that person trusted in Christ? And I would dare say a lot of us would not be happy with that because we deep down and maybe not deep down, maybe even on the surface, we would root. No, we want judgment. Mm-hmm. And so to hear that that person has received grace from God and forgiveness troubles us at times, which unveils our hearts are not where they need to be. Because this is where, you know, our first takeaway here of, you know, which camp do might we fall in? That's a really important, but that's not the main idea that Jesus is getting on the radar here. We got to remember the main idea here is God's heart for lost people. We've got to remember that. that, and that's what we want whoever we're discipling to understand. This is the big idea here: God loves lost people and invites all to repent and trust in Him. And when they do, He extends forgiveness. He restores mm-hmm. relationship. That's the big idea. So this, what we're talking about now, Aaron, what's our heart? This is, this is closer to the, the big idea that Jesus was getting to here because that's what, again, the religious leaders were lacking. They had no heart. Brian, I think that's a good place for us to wrap this on um, as particularly as we consider what is our, what is our heart for, for others. Um, 
and you know we should we should definitely be praying that that God would give us a greater heart for for those who we either are overtly um, rebellious toward him or to those who are lost in their legalism so uh, thanks for chatting about this and uh, thank you for all all for listening to today's episode of the podcast if you enjoyed it please do leave a sincere five-star rating and review on apple podcasts or whatever platform you use to listen to the show and for more resources to help you focus your ministry on the gospel please visit gospelproject.com 